Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 24th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I am sweaty. Uh, I am really not a summer person. I am the type of guy who will be sweating profusely uh, by the time I make it uh, down the block from the car park to the door of my office. Uh, one thing I noticed on the Mustangs that I had in Hawaii was a max AC button, which I admit I tapped a few times after getting in the, the scorching card that had been sitting out in the sun all day. But what I don't get is why this button even exists. I mean, most, most cars now have digital HVAC systems. You set it to a specific temperature and the car will automatically... Uh, get the inside of the car to that temperature and then maintain that level of comfort without you having to keep dialing in the right fan speed or temperature like you used to do in, on older cars. So when I get into a 100-degree car and set the temperature to 68, shouldn't the car already be doing its best to get the interior to that temperature? Does the max AC button make a difference? And if so, why isn't the car already trying to be on max AC to cool it down to my desired level of comfort? If it doesn't make a difference, does it have some sort of placebo effect whereby it makes drivers more comfortable knowing their car is maxing out the AC? Either way, I, I think max AC buttons are dumb. And they really shouldn't be a thing, especially in the age of automatic climate controls. But I guess, I mean, if they make you feel better, I guess it, it doesn't particularly matter. Anyway, I'm the first person to admit that I get grouchy when I am hot and sticky. And it has been miserably hot and humid this week in the Midwest. Uh, and it's just that time of year where I am a real pain to be around. So... Uh, thank you all for tuning in uh, anyway while I whine about some car stuff. Uh, so to that point, here are our top stories. First up this week is the National Insurance Crime Bureau's annual Hot Wheels report, which lists the most stolen models of car in the past year. Uh, once again, taking the top spot was the 1997 Honda Accord, which topped the list for the second time in a row and was followed by the 1998 Honda Civic. Uh, this marks four years in a row that late 90s Hondas led the most stolen list. Uh, also prominent on the list were the Big Three's pickup trucks with the F-150, Dodge Ram, and Chevy Silverado all placing in the top ten. Uh, what is it, you ask, that makes these cars so desirable among thieves? Well, uh, there are, are a few things at work here. First, all of the cars in the top 10 are very popular cars, meaning that there are just a lot of them out there on the road to steal. Uh, to give you an idea just how many there are, more than 50,000 Honda Accords were stolen last year, and more than 49,000 Civics. Also, because they're a bit older and so popular, parts for these cars are in high demand for when repairs are needed, so stealing a car to be scrapped for parts can be a lucrative, if illegal, play. Uh, finally, these cars are pretty low-tech without a lot of the electronic security features that help us keep our newer cars from being stolen, so they're pretty easy to steal. 
Uh, let's not forget that most criminals are not masterminds, so the easier the job is, the more likely it is to get done. While we don't have the full numbers from 2016 yet, in 2015, more than 700,000 cars were stolen in the U.S., breaking down to one every 45 seconds, which is a lot. That means uh, there are more than 30 cars stolen during every podcast of mine. So be safe out there, people, and watch out for your Hondas and pickups. Um, I haven't talked about car sales in a while, but in case you're wondering, it's been six straight months of sales decline year over year, which sounds a lot like we've reached peak car, which can only mean bad things for car makers, right? Well, maybe not so much. While U.S. consumers aren't buying as many cars this year as they did last year, they're still buying a lot of cars. Uh, we're on pace for the fourth best year ever, which... I mean, fourth best is still uh, one of the best. And the thing is, they're, uh, U.S. consumers are buying trucks and crossovers and SUVs, not compact cars and sedans. This means higher margin for manufacturers and less pressure to produce cheap cars on which they don't make much money in the first place. Uh, in a recent interview for Automotive News, Ford's VP of Marketing, when asked uh, how he felt about the margins growing while the sales figures were falling, said, quote, I'll take it all day long. Uh, and not all brands have been down. Uh, Porsche just finished up uh, posting its best six months of sales in company history, selling almost 130,000 cars in the first half of 2016 or 17 alone. Uh, of course, this growth, which has reached double digits in uh, percentage-wise in Asia and Africa and the Middle East, has been helped tremendously by the launch of the Macan, a compact crossover, which is, of course, the only body style anyone is buying anymore. Uh, Infinity has also seen their sales rise through the drought. Uh, in fact, they're up 22% over last year, while the industry as a whole has been down almost 4%. Uh, things have been so good that for the first time in 28 years, Infinity is poised to take over second on the Japanese luxury podium, beating Acura back into third. Uh, now, why is this the case? Well, probably because Infinity has four crossovers and the new QX30 compact crossover, um, uh, and the other three of various sizes compared with Acura's just two. And the interiors of these Infinities are positively miles ahead of where Honda's luxury brand is. You know when you're in an Acura that it, it started out life as a Honda. Uh, so what have we learned halfway through the year? Basically, that car makers are just fine letting all the buyers trade up from their sedans to crossovers because there's more money to be had there anyway. The only problem is some manufacturers are being a little slow to take advantage of the shift. So, as I mentioned last week, Tesla was preparing for the first Model 3 to roll off the production line, and it did so last Friday and went straight into the open garage of none other than Tesla CEO Elon Musk himself. Um, if you thought that was a foregone conclusion, though, you, like me, would be wrong. Apparently, the car was reserved by Tesla Board of Directors member Ira Aaron Price who gave Elon the car as a birthday present. Uh, that's just so sweet, you know? Now, if only I could get more $35,000 birthday presents. Uh, anyway, Tesla has announced the addition of 100 new service centers for its cars, 
uh, which given the company's track record are really going to need it. Um, they're also adding 350 service vans that will bring repairs to you in the somewhat likely event something goes wrong. Tesla has more than uh, 373,000 reservations for its Model 3, and reliability has been an ongoing issue with Models S and X, meaning service centers could quickly become overwhelmed with work once the Model 3 production really ramps up. Time will tell if 250 service centers and 350 men and vans across the country is going to be enough. Uh, but one place Tesla doesn't have to worry about expanding service centers is Hong Kong, where the government recently, recently removed tax breaks for electric vehicles, effectively raising the price of Tesla's cars by about 100%. Uh, because of this hike, Tesla has sold exactly zero cars since it went into effect. But Tesla doesn't seem too worried about it, and uh, let's just give them a couple months and see if they change their tune. Uh, we're going to jump in now to some quick hits. Faraday Future have officially halted work on their billion-dollar factory in Nevada after financial woes of Le Echo, their Chinese parent company, left the entire company strapped for cash. Their CEO insists they are still committed to the North Las Vegas plant and are hoping to raise a billion dollars as they try to shift their personal mobility company in another direction, presumably a direction that it isn't straight down the drain. Uh, the good news for uh, is that Faraday Futures' complete failure as a company hasn't cost Nevada taxpayers a dime. Instead, it's only cost journalists lots and lots of time. Lucid Air, another electric vehicle manufacturer begging for your attention, has released a video of their Alpha Speed Car prototype hitting 235 miles an hour on a test track in Ohio, which is the fastest speed ever recorded by something trying to stay in the state of Ohio. Unlike Faraday Future, Lucid is taking things slow and getting the engineering right before trying to build a factory for a car that doesn't really exist yet. It's an admirable goal trying to come up with an honest Tesla competitor for around 60 grand before incentives, and I hope they do it. Right now, they're considering a factory in Arizona, but we are still in the process of raising funds to get it done. Now, where have I heard that before? Auto Pacific's Vehicle Satisfaction Awards have been announced, and if you're wondering just what the hell Auto Pacific is or how they judge satisfaction, you are not alone and exactly right to be questioning everything I'm about to say. Apparently, the Hyundai Genesis G90, a car so underwhelming fewer than 50 have been sold in the United Kingdom since 2015, causing Hyundai to pull the entire brand from the country, that Genesis has been named the most satisfying vehicle in America. Other surprises from these awards include Lincoln being named the most satisfying luxury brand and GMC being named the most satisfying non-luxury brand. Apparently, the study looked at more than 54,000 responses from owners of new 2016 and 2017 vehicles. Respondents evaluated cars based on 49 separate attributes, ranging from interior comfort and styling to fuel economy and performance, thereby demonstrating that consumers know jack shit about cars. 
Speaking of satisfaction, Google is getting a little bit of that from Uber, which initially argued that the engineer they hired from Waymo, Google's autonomous driving company, totally didn't steal 14,000 documents worth of secret information when he left their company. Now Uber says, oh yes, those 14,000 secrets. Yes, yes, he did steal them and bring them here. Terribly sorry about that. Uber has claimed they did never use any of the secrets he brought to them, which is apparently good enough for Google, as Waymo has dropped most of the claims in a lawsuit against the ride-sharing company. Both companies are claiming the result is a win, and I'll agree with them if it means I don't have to talk about their stupid bickering anymore. Desperate to prove how hip and forward-thinking they are, Oregon has announced they will begin offering a $2,500 rebate on electric vehicles bought in the state or leased for at least two years. The rebate will be given for cars with a 10 kilowatt, kilowatt or higher battery pack and for vehicles costing less than 50 grand, conveniently ruling out Tesla's models S and X. Hey, if you can afford those cars, you probably don't need 2,500 bucks back. How is the state going to pay for this? Glad you asked. They're going to increase taxes on EV title and registration fees. Part of the bill, though, also calls for a tax on bicycles, specifically any bike with 26-inch wheels costing more than 200 bucks will be taxed extra to pay for the state's bicycle friendliness. So expect to see a few more EVs on the road in Portland and a whole bunch more bicycle shops opening up on the Washington border. General Motors invited journalists to come out and try its new shifter for the GMC Acadia, which instead of having a traditional stock behind the steering wheel or knob on the center console, is a series of buttons and switches below the temperature controls on the dashboard. GM wanted journalists to come see how easy and uncomplicated it was, so they set aside three whole hours for everyone to learn the new system, figure it out, and try it out. Add to those three hours the countless ones spent by designers and engineers finding out how to implement a new shifter technology into a car, and it all adds up to a huge waste of time that will probably only confuse buyers and lead them straight into the arms of a Toyota Sequoia, which they probably should be buying anyway. Fiat Chrysler has announced the closure of their Connor assembly plant in Detroit, which hasn't made a huge splash in the headlines despite the president's ongoing drum beating about bringing jobs back. Perhaps that's all because only 80 jobs will be lost in this shutdown. The Connor assembly plant was, after all, the location where the Dodge Viper was hand-built by those poor 80 souls who will now have to go find work assembling much more boring cars. It just goes to show that to support jobs in this country, we need more Vipers! After 57 years headquartered in the Los Angeles area, Toyota has been finalizing the construction on their new headquarters in Plano, Texas. The new building is a LEED Platinum certified building and has 20,000 solar panels and a rainwater irrigation system, which makes for a pretty cool looking and functioning facility. That, however, wasn't enough to persuade some employees to abandon their glamorous Los Angeles lives, though, so about 25% of the jobs in Plano have yet to be filled. If you're looking to relocate, I hear North Texas is a great place to have a job at Toyota. Uh, finally, do you live in New York or Los Angeles? Do you love Mustangs? Do you love ice cream? Do you love Mustang paint color themed ice cream flavors? Well, have I got news for you. It's basically exactly what I said. Ford is sending out ice cream trucks in parts of LA and New York with orange fury ice cream this week. 
to celebrate their new orange-colored Mustang. I don't normally care much for automotive-themed gimmicks, but if it involves ice cream, count me in. Uh, there are a bunch of new cars this week, so let's go ahead and look at some of those. <laughs> Our first new car this week has to be the Aston Martin Valkyrie, which, yes, has been announced before, but it has been re-announced after being totally updated and redesigned, and it is amazing. Uh, just absolutely amazing looking. Not in the DB9 sort of classic, beautiful sort of way. I, I wouldn't necessarily call this a pretty car, but it is seriously stunning. Uh, Aston Martin sort of went back to the drawing board after having unveiled the Valkyrie the first time and worked on the aerodynamics a bunch, making it more efficient and creating uh, more downforce to stick it to the road. Uh, and what they came up with sort of looks like uh, a Pagani Zonda made love to a, a Le Mans prototype, which was then abducted by aliens who fused it to a flying saucer and then sent it through... Uh, a bureaucratic safety agency to tone it down a bit. But they didn't tone it down very much, though. Seriously, go look up pictures of the Aston Martin Valkyrie. It is like nothing else out there, I guarantee it. Uh, Audi's new flagship, A8, was unveiled this week, uh, featuring a bevy of technology and engineering that will depreciate 50% of its initial value as soon as the tires hit non-dealer pavement. Uh, true to Audi styling, it looks exactly like the A4 and A6, only bigger, but does feature a number of improvements as it seeks to dethrone Mercedes S-Class and the BMW 7 Series. One of the improvements uh, is Audi's new Traffic Jam Pilot, which uh, will enable fully autonomous driving and heavy traffic to permit you to do something other than drive the car, unlike many other autonomous systems that defeat their own purpose by mandating you keep your eyes on the road and hands on the wheel. So, uh, watch a movie, read a book, enjoy traffic for once. Uh, it's, it'll also have things called Remote Parking Pilot and Remote Garage Pilot, where you can get out of the car and watch it park itself, which is the perfect for someone who really, really sucks at that. Um, there's, of course, much more than I care to cover here, but uh, it's it's going to be too expensive for everyone to buy anyway, so why bother? Um, Jaguar launched their new E-Pace crossover this week by literally launching it off a metal ramp, completing a barrel roll, and landing it on a pile of dirt at the Excel Center in London today. Uh, test driver Terry Grant, who is the same man who performed the loop-the-loop -loop in the Jaguar F-Pace launch in 2015, completed the stunt without a hitch, uh, traveling about 45 feet in the air and setting a new Guinness World Record f for something or another. Um, like its big brother, uh, the F-Pace, the E-Pace is a very handsome crossover um, that uh, looks good, drives well, probably doesn't last especially long, but it'll be an excellent place for drivers who can afford its uh, $37,000 entry tag. Um, kudos to Jag for the intro, uh, as long as they keep thinking up weird shit to do, um, people like me will continue talking about it. Uh, in the tradition of car companies finding different letters to use to designate their performance cars, Audi has S and RS, Lexus has F for some reason, 
BMW has M as in Mike. Um, Hyundai has decided to take the same tactic with uh, the letter N as in Nancy uh, performance line of vehicles. Uh, since M as in Mike and N as in Nancy sound so similar, I'll just continue to use the NATO phonetic alphabet for this next bit. Um, so the first of these is the I-30 Nancy, uh, which is based on the Elantra GT we get here in America. The I-30 Nancy will fe feature a 270-horsepower direct-injected turbo 2-liter mated to a 6-speed manual gearbox powering the front wheels, which sounds an awful lot like Focus ST territory. Not to mention, it has a really attractive uh, body style uh, and looks to match the speed. Unfortunately, we will not see the i30 Nancy on our shores anytime soon, as Hyundai is saving the introduction of any Nancy performance models for the Veloster Nancy, which should show up sometime next year. But uh, this probably provides a good look at the powertrain we should be expecting. Rather unfortunately, it will be attached to the impractical, sort of ungainly body of the Veloster, rather than the slick Elantra GT. Um, hatchbacks, though, have seen a recent resurgence in sales here in America, so if Hyundai comes to their senses, as they did too late with compact crossovers, we'll get our hands on an i30 Nancy sometime. Honda has decided its adorable compact crossover, the HRV, just wasn't menacing enough, so they're fixing that with the new Black Edition. As we've seen on the Nissan Rogue and Super Forester and every other freaking car on the road, the Black Edition basically equates to black wheels, black paint, black seats, a bunch of plastic trim painted black. Uh, the thing is, car companies wouldn't be making these if they weren't super popular with buyers, and I thought the whole murdered out trend went away sometime in the mid-2000s, but I guess it's making a strong comeback. So, congratulations, everyone. You you can get your murdered-out Honda HRV. Uh, a new car from a new company you've never heard of, Zarouk has unveiled its Sand Racer 500 GT, which is a, a sort of hot off-road two-door hatchback stuffed with a Chevy V8 pumping out 500 horsepower. Uh, now, Zarouk is a primarily United Arab Emirates-owned company, but it's sort of an amalgamation of investment from different rich oil people in the Middle East and elsewhere, which makes sense why they'd want to design a vehicle meant for racing around sand dunes. Uh, they said it'll make they'll make 35 Sand Racer GT 500s and sell 500 GTs, whatever, and sell them for about $450,000 a piece making the investors in this company exactly the type of people who could afford to buy the cars the company makes in the first place, and that's about it. Uh, anyway, it's a cool idea. Uh, maybe someday my friends and I will get together and start a car company. Uh, the difference is what we'll end up with is probably something more along the lines of a Reliant Robin. Uh, following up on their long history of bulletproof motorcycles, BMW has announced a new two-wheeler that is a bit of a departure for the brand. Uh, called the X2 City, it, this will probably be the only BMW ever confused with a Razor scooter because that's essentially what it is, uh, but with bigger, beefier wheels and tires and, uh, oh yeah, an electric motor 
that'll help you go 21 miles at 15 miles an hour without having to break a sweat with any of that pedestrian pushing sort of thing. Uh, the price of this luxury convenience that will fit in the back of your 2 Series, just shy of 3,000 euros, which is a small price to pay for looking like a rich douche. Uh, doing their best to prove that nothing is sacred in this world and that everything is a cash grab, Ferrari is throwing away heritage and planning to build a crossover SUV, which they have codenamed the F16X. While there was once talk of Ferrari, a Ferrari SUV being made over Sergio Marchione's dead body, it looks like he can't get run over or shot fast enough with production set to start in 2021, which conveniently is two years after Sergio's turn as CEO is up. Uh, we have virtually no details uh, on this car other than what they think it's going to be a sports car with off-road capabilities, which no, it absolutely will not because that is literally not a sports car. Um, apparently Ferrari is going to down this path because Aston Martin's doing it, Lamborghini's doing it, and they're cool. Porsche's been doing it for a while. And what we really need is Enzo Ferrari's mom to come along and take the company's board by the ear and say, well, Now all of your friends went through their tradition, the heritage, and the brand equity off a bridge. Would you do it too? I, I assume that's what his mother sounds like. Uh, sadly, they, they probably still would do that, yeah. Uh, in terms of obituaries this week, uh, we do have uh, one. Uh, Volkswagen has announced they are killing off the Touareg, despite the fact that SUV and crossover sales are keeping virtually every car brand alive at this point. Uh, the reason for the Touareg's the death, ugh. <laughs> the reason for the Touareg's death is twofold. Uh, it is too expensive and too small for buyers. Uh, too expensive because it was developed along with the Porsche Cayenne and uses a lot of the same parts, uh, creating a really nice SUV to be in, but one that is not cheap to buy. Also, uh, it's on the larger side but doesn't offer a third row of seats, which is required by all the families buying up cars with a ton of seats that they seldom use and can't justify. Volkswagen argues that the new Atlas is cheaper and bigger and the new Tiguan is bigger, and they're still selling the older, smaller Tiguan. Uh, why they didn't just introduce the new Tiguan as the Touareg and keep the other Tiguan smaller, I don't know and can't explain. But I am sort of sad to see the Touareg go. Uh, I got to drive, well, I've gotten to drive the hybrid, uh, which was really cool. And I also got to drive the V10 diesel uh, Touareg, and it was amazing. I have, I'll never again probably experience torque like that. And would love to own one, if not for, like, the electronics and gas mileage and maintenance costs. And, and well, a, a lot. A lot is why I wouldn't buy one. Regardless, it was a cool crossover, which you will not hear me say very much. Um, so that's pretty much it. Uh, for this week's call, to, or I guess for last week's call of action, I asked everyone to practice a little tolerance. Uh, but... I want to take it a step further this week and encourage everyone to be more inclusive. Uh, I think oftentimes we have a tendency to gaze too much inwards, uh, thinking of ourselves and our own motivations and our own desires. When there are people around us who, who care about or depend on us and whose wants or needs 
deserve equal or sometimes greater attention. Uh, maybe inclusion means doing something you don't want to do in order to make these people feel more valued. Or maybe it means involving them in your activities and finding common bonds. Uh, we live in a time of deep tribal separatism, and there will always be issues that tend to polarize and divide us, but fundamentally we're all humans, and we're all beings who need togetherness and love, so go out there and open your arms to new people and new experiences and, and new friendships. So with that, I will thank you for listening. Uh, thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I will leave you with a clip of Hyundai's new hot hatch, which I grant is a little bit underwhelming. Uh, there's a whole lot of tire squeal and not a whole lot of exhaust rage, but if you listen closely, you can hear the anger in the burble and the, the subtle turbo back pressure pop, which means that this could be a really special car to drive. So with that, here is the Hyundai i30 Nancy. Here is your moment of zen. <laughs> <laughs>